0: Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. There's a game that can be played, and youth groups play this. You might have played this in, 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 as a part of some group somewhere. I know that Ryan and the youth group did this about, I don't know, maybe a year, year and a half ago. Um, they, it's called Bigger and Better. Um, I don't know if that's what Ryan called it, but. This group called it Bigger and Better. And what happens is you take a penny. They, they take their youth group, they divide them into about four or five kids, give them a supervisor, and they send them out. And they've got a penny in their hand. And the goal is to take the penny and go to somebody and say, what can you give me that is bigger and better, bigger or better than this penny? And they start to barter. And they start to make uh, exchanges and, you know, maybe they exchange their penny for a handkerchief or maybe they, hopefully a new handkerchief, not a used one, maybe they exchange their penny for a, a cup or, you know, it, it could be anything. And then they take that and they barter with somebody else with the cup that they've been given and they, they get something bigger and better than the cup. Can you give us something bigger and better than this? And they just keep bartering. They just keep this negotiation going with different people. They go to different houses. They see people out and, you know, can would you make an exchange with us? And so... That then they bring people, they bring all the kids back, and they, do a, they download what they've been able to turn their penny into. And for this particular youth group, they came back with a couch. They turned their penny into a couch, and another youth group did them one better than that, came back with a Buick. Now, how do you do that? I, I don't know. Um, today, our conversation is going to be centered around this idea of What is better? What is better? We're going to talk about priorities, and we're going to talk about what's better in our lives. Um, I want you to take your Bible out if you have one. Turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. I'm going to look at verse 38. This is a very, very familiar story for many of us who've grown up in the church. If you're new to the Bible, if you're new to Bible study, this, as you get more involved in reading your Bible, this will be a story that you will return to time and again because It's just rich with with, uh, lessons for us. Uh, Verse 38, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. This is going to be the city of Bethany. Bethany is on the west side of of the Sea of Galilee. It is, um, I'm sorry, it's not the Sea of Galilee, that's the Dead Sea. Uh, Just on the the west coast there, it's just off the coast a little bit. And it's about two miles outside of Jerusalem. And what's interesting about the city of Bethany is that this is where Jesus has some really good friends, Lazarus, Martha, and Mary, who are all of the same household. And and they are dear friends of Jesus. And, you know, I think that this was familiar space for Jesus. They, They pretty much believe that when Jesus went to Jerusalem to do any type of business, to do anything in the city, he would spend his days in the city, but when he went, when he left, when he needed a place to go at night, he would go the two-mile journey to Bethany, to the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and, and he and his disciples would often stay with them. And so, you know, it's what would normally be very comfortable surroundings for Jesus. I think, that, I think the space in, in the house of Lazarus for Jesus was a safe haven. I think it was a place he could, he could relax. He could, you know, kick his sandals off and, and, and just get away from a lot of the expectation that was on him much of the time. But in this particular story, on this particular day, that's not going to be the case. I think it's going to be very uncomfortable. Uh, it's going to be, I might even use the word awkward um, in the exchange that happens today because Jesus is going to have a conversation about priorities with some dear friends of his. Now, when we think about priorities in our life, what we, what we think about is what, we're talking about what matters most. If I were to ask you, what matters most to you? You're probably gonna start in on, on family or kids. Uh, you might talk about career. Hopefully, your faith would be a part of that conversation. There are a lot of different ways that somebody might answer the question, you know, what are my priorities? But here's an observation that I wanna make this morning. We have a tendency to drift away from the, the priorities in our life. We, we just, the things that are really important, it's really easy for us to drift away from those things. It's it, You know, we, we, the people that we care about the most, sometimes we treat the worst. The, the relationships that matter most to us, it's not that we drift away from those people, but we drift away from maintaining those in the right way. I think we, you know, you could even, I think spouses once in a while feel taken advantage, not taken for granted, not taken advantage of, but taken for granted by one another. And I think it's an easy thing for us to slip into doing that because it's so familiar, you're so used to it that you, you get distracted by other things, especially in the summertime, especially in these days when, you know, our, that we get some extended weekends, we get some extended time off. Um, There's a lot of things that can distract us. We can go on short excursions We take vacations and we just can get distracted. I think really pretty easily It's just easy to drift away from the things that matter most in our life during this time of the year and and we drift to what is more convenient And what's more comfortable? Or what feels more pressing or urgent to us, you know, those are the things that get our attention and we have a tendency to drift I think for some of us this morning, God is going to challenge us to choose once again what matters most to return to some of the priorities that we would, you know, we would easily say, is that a priority for you? We would say, yeah, that's a priority for me, but I've left it. I haven't, I've kind of gotten away from that. And so this morning, I'm I'm hoping that we will get to a place where we're able to identify and choose what is better. In today's story, there are three characters. We're going to look at Mary. We're going to talk about Martha, and we're going to talk about Jesus. So the first character I want to look at is Mary. Uh, Martha has invited Jesus to her home, and uh, his disciples are there with him, and they're going to have dinner together. And so let's see what Mary is up to. Verse 39 tells us a little bit about Mary. Um, She, speaking of Martha, had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. And right at the outset of this story, I think Luke is trying to convey something uh, to us. Uh, He tells us something about Mary. She sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. This is actually a a very important Jewish phrase that communicates something very important about Mary. In fact, it it describes three things about Mary, um, very specific. And in this particular uh, story, it describes something, it's going to describe something Very particular, it's going to describe something countercultural, and it's going to describe something that changes you. So, specific, countercultural, and it changes you. So, let's talk about these three things. Um, As Mary is described, just in that one phrase, that she sat at the feet of Jesus, um, something specific. If you were to look in the other book that Luke wrote, which is the book of Acts, You know, we're looking in the Gospel of Luke today. Luke wrote the the Gospel of Luke, and he also wrote the the book of Acts, or the Acts of the Apostles. Luke is all about Jesus and his life. And then you come to Acts, and if you're unfamiliar with the book of Acts, the book of Acts talks about what happens after Jesus went back uh, to, to be with the Lord in heaven, and he leaves the disciples on earth, and the disciples then, the apostles, are going to really begin the church and and oversee the early stages of the church and they're going to be making decisions and and Deciding you know, these are these are kind of the ground rules for what we want to do here Um, In fact, I would tell you that if you're new to Bible study one of the things that you could do that would really benefit you is read the book of Luke and then right on the heels of the Book of Luke read the book of Acts because you're going to get an awful lot You're going to get the life of Christ and then you're going to see the beginnings of the church And I think that as you see that There's a history there and it would just kind of unlock some things for you You would see some things and go. Oh, that's that's kind of making some sense for me So I would encourage you to read those back to back Anyway in the book of acts we meet a man named paul who at the time that we meet him Is an enemy of the church and he hates the jesus movement. He he wants to try to stop it uh, With everything that is within him and he he has this conversion experience And he becomes an important leader and teacher in the church. And in Acts chapter 22, Paul shares a part of his story. And in this story, we get the background as to what it means to sit at the feet of Jesus. In Acts 22, we read this. I, this is Paul talking. I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. And you hear that and you're like, okay, Brett, I missed it. Where is the whole part about sitting at somebody's feet? Um, It says that he studied under Gamaliel, and that's the NIV version. Um, That's the one that I usually use. That's the version that I basically use when we come in here and spend time together. I might go, you know, once in a while, you'll see me use lots of different versions, but I would say 80% of the time, when we read stuff together, I'm reading to you from the New International Version. Let me show you this in the English Standard Version. Uh, Paul said this, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel. So let's talk for a second about uh, Bible translations and, and you know, kind of what's going on there. There are all different kinds of translations of the Bible. Um, There are translations, and then there are also paraphrases. Uh, the, The difference between a paraphrase and a translation is that a translation is basically they've taken Greek, the New Testament was written in Greek, so they take Greek, and Greek scholars read what it says, and then they try to reflect as accurately as they can what that sounds like in English. And there are different types of philosophies that they operate by, like they, you know, if a group is going to translate from Greek into English, they kind of establish some things that they're trying to make sure that they do and they, they basically translate through that lens. So um, when you do that, you get different translations. Now there's something called a paraphrase. That's basically just reading it in English and then um, translating it for, for other ears. An example of that is the Phillips version of the Bible came from a time when, when J.B. Phillips used to read to his children and he would read it and then he would explain to his children what it was saying. And he got to where he started writing that down. So we have the Phillips translation of the scriptures, which is a really good one, uh, if you like paraphrases. But but translations take Greek, they try to bring that into English and, and you know, basically say it so that we can understand it. I've had people come up to me and say one of the, probably one of the most uh, often asked questions of me is Brett, what's the best translation? What's the, you know, I'm gonna get a Bible, I'm gonna go to the b- bookstore and buy a Bible, what's the best translation for me to use? And so, um, you know, I usually tell them what I just told you about how we get translations, about what, how they're working, and m- most translations, I would say really pretty much all of them, are, are good translations of scripture once in a while you'll get one and it translates something and it's just like man That's really wonky <laughs> um, I know some of you grew up and and you grew up on the King James Version, right? Like there's no other version, but the King James Version in fact today there are pockets of people that believe if you use anything other than the King James Version, you're going to hell pretty much and and um, I won't, that's a whole nother sermon that I don't need to go into right now, but I'll just tell you this, I'll tell you this, when I was in Bible college and I had Greek class, I had 14 hours of Greek, I had almost enough Greek to to have a minor in Greek, now don't ask me to speak it because I couldn't do that, it's a dead language anyway, but um, I had 14 hours of Greek and so every night I had Greek homework and I would have to translate, I would have to look in my Greek New Testament and see what it said and then figure out, without looking at anything, this is what the author is saying in this Greek text. And then I would, I would try to write that down uh, and translate it into English. And all of us Greek students, when we did that, when we checked our Greek homework, we checked it according to the New American Standard Bible. Okay, the New American Standard, I believe, is probably just in terms of straight from Greek into English, is probably the, the most accurate translation. The problem with with that is that um, Greek as a language does not always emphasize things the same way English does. Um, English doesn't always put the most important thing at the beginning of the sentence. In Greek, the most important thing is always put at the beginning of the sentence, and then you, so a Greek translator goes in and translates that for our ears. So when you read the New American Standard, sometimes it feels a little clunky, Sometimes it, it, it feels a little awkward. It does not always read the best in a public setting like this. And that's why pastors like me oftentimes gravitate to the, New America, to the NIV because it reads a little better. But in Greek, there is this idiom that, that Paul sat at the feet of Gamaliel. And what translators do is they take that, that idiom and they think, okay, what's an idiom that they have in English that this would sound like? And we'll just change it to that so that the readers will be able to make a connection to what's going on in the first century. So in English, we would say that Paul studied under Gamaliel, and, and when we hear that, we know what that means. In the English Standard Version, they basically just brought that over word for word, and they take that idiom, sitting at the feet, and, or studying at the feet, and they bring that into English, and they don't really change it. So back to Mary. She is sitting at the feet of Jesus and we said that she's doing something specific. Well, what is it? Well, what it is, is she is, as Luke describes this for us, she is in a formal teaching relationship with Jesus. Okay, this is, a, this is a formal thing. Paul is a disciple of this Jewish rabbi Gamaliel, and he was in a formal teaching relationship with him. And it's very interesting that Luke, when he describes this meal at Martha's house, he says Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. What does this mean? It doesn't mean that she walked into the room and she said, well, here's a place. I'll just sit down right here. That's not what she's thinking. That's not what that's trying to convey. What it's conveying is, no, she, this, is a, this is a formal thing. She's a disciple on some level of Jesus. And so she's depicted here as a disciple of Rabbi Jesus. And you say, okay, Brett, I thought that Jesus only had 12 disciples. Well, there are the 12 disciples that we recognize and we talk an awful lot about and within that 12 there's even an inner circle of three that we we will kind of hone in on from time to time but the new testament also also tells us about the fact that jesus sent out as many as 72 disciples at one time so there was a larger group and it's possible that mary is a part of that larger group of disciples so that's the first thing that I want you to understand. This is a, that, that sentence is very specific. It's, it's kind of honed in on, on this relationship to Jesus. Um, but secondly, it's countercultural. And you're like, well, Brett, you know, how is that? What's countercultural about this? Well, the fact that Mary is a female and she's in this relationship and she's sitting at the feet of Jesus, Mary, as a woman in the first century, would not have been invited to do that with any other man. No other rabbi, no other teacher is going to allow Mary in the first century to sit at their feet in this formal way. In fact, women weren't invited to do a lot of things in the first century. Women weren't permitted to speak in public. If you were out with your husband, you walked behind him with your head down. Um, You wouldn't participate in government. You didn't get a vote. You didn't have a say. Women were outsiders, and Jesus is the one who changed that. He spoke to women in public. He defended women. His first encounter after he has raised from the dead is with women who can't even testify in court as to the, the, the validity of his resurrection. They weren't even allowed to do that. Women funded Jesus' ministry, and at least in the case of Mary, Jesus invited Mary to learn and follow from him. And I say this, I've said this a couple of times, I think even in this series, that if you are a woman and you're not a serious follower of Jesus, I don't understand that, because Jesus has probably has probably done more for women than any other man in history. Jesus was including women, talking to women, elevating women, promoting women in ways that they just simply were not before he came along. So, you know, if, if that's an issue that is really close to you, and it, it, I think it is for most of us, that, that women be recognized and 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 seen for, for the, the great you know, part of the you know, two sexes that we are, then, then you know, I think that you should be a Christ follower. And so in the first century, Jesus valued women like nobody else did. He gave dignity to them. He elevated their status. Uh, Jesus was countercultural. He invited women uh, who were outsiders to be insiders with him, and this is an example of that. But it wasn't just women, as we have already seen in this series. Jesus invited all kinds of outsiders, you know, social outsiders, moral outsiders, political outsiders, ethnic outsiders. Jesus was very inclusive, and he, he made sure that all these different types of people uh, felt comfortable around him, regardless of their background, and, and he made sure that they, were, they knew that they were welcome to come and learn from him. And you say, okay, Brett, it, it, so Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, and that's countercultural, but what does that mean for us? Well, first and foremost, it means that you are invited, no matter who you are, into a learning discipleship relationship with Jesus. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you come from. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what your mistakes are. I don't care, you know, what bad things you've said or done in your past. I don't care what you, you know, any of that. Um, I've had people say, Brett, you just, don't know, you just don't, don't know what my life includes. And my response to that is, I don't care. Jesus doesn't care. You're invited. You can come and, and, and be a part of, of his uh, group of followers. Jesus wants a relationship with you. Secondly, it should mean something for us. We should be the most welcoming, the most inviting, the most inclusive people on the planet because we are supposed to reflect the heart of Jesus. I, you know, I'm, I'm on Twitter and it just amazes me. Um, you can see in someone's bio that, you know, their little avatar thing and, and you you can see where they one of the first things they, said, they they'll they give a list of words about what they are and one of the words is christian and then you see some of the things they've posted and you're like dude you are not helping <laughs> okay <laughs> that's that's not helping in fact just we, you you just need to not talk right like um we're supposed to be the ones who reflect the heart of Jesus. And sometimes I'll see Christians who say things and do things that just don't look very much like the heart of Jesus. Um, and it's, it, you know we probably have all done that at one time or another. And it's just one of the things that, that needs, to, it needs to be important to us. We need to constantly think that we are an ambassador. We are a diplomat. We are representative of Jesus he the only Jesus some people are ever going to see is us and You know they need to see Jesus in us. So the question for us to wrestle with is who are you inviting? Who are you welcoming? Who are you pursuing with whom have you been? Relationally generous, you know, I've said this a couple of weeks ago, and I, I I've tried to live my life by this it's a it's again we drift from those things that are should be priorities for us, and we, have a ten- we can have a tendency to forget this, but you can tell an awful lot about somebody by the way they treat people who can do nothing for them. How do you treat people who can do nothing for you? How do you treat people who can give no contribution to your life, cannot advance you in any way? In fact, any uh, interaction you have with them, you're going to be giving to them, right? You're not gonna get anything back. How do you treat people like that? Now, we said that Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, and that's specific, and it's countercultural, but we also said that it's something that, that changes you. Understand, a disciple-rabbi relationship in the first century was not just about head knowledge. Okay? Gamaliel was not just trying to get what was in his head into Paul's head. As Mary sits at the feet of Jesus, the goal there is not just to get what's in Jesus' head into Mary's head It's deeper than that. This is about more than just an exchange of knowledge. This is about uh, a a total change of life, a total change of discipline. The disciple-rabbi relationship was all about becoming exactly like the rabbi, which meant if your rabbi grew a beard, tough for the ladies to do that, some anyway, but um, I digress. Um, But if if your rabbi grew a beard, you grew a beard. If he walked with a limp, you likely were going to walk with a limp because you wanted to look like your rabbi. What he did, you did. It it was not just an exchange of head knowledge. It was you wanted to look. Paul's goal was to look like, talk like, sound like, be a carbon copy of Gamaliel. And so a relationship with Jesus, sitting at the feet of Jesus, should change us. We should be a carbon copy. That's the goal, is to be a carbon copy of loving, compassion-filled, mercy-filled, grace-filled Jesus. Forgiving, uh, you know, speech seasoned with grace. Um, Caring for those who who are disadvantaged and don't have what we have. Caring for those who who need a hand up. Being kind. Man, where would we be as a country if we were just focused on being kind to one another? Even Christians, if we just being kind to each other, if we just started there. Um, I've seen people who knew all about Jesus and their actions toward other people didn't really reflect any of the things that Jesus demonstrated. There was no mercy. There was no grace. There was no compassion. There was no forgiveness. There were no kind words. There wasn't even attention sometimes to other people, Right? Uh, so what does it mean to, fit at, to sit at the feet of Jesus? Let, let's try this on. To sit at the feet of Jesus means to humbly listen to the voice of Jesus, not just for information, but for transformation. See, it's not just about knowing, it's about growing. It's not just about knowledge, it's about change. It's about you and I following Jesus and becoming just like him. And to do that, I have to listen to Jesus humbly. You have to give Jesus authority in your life for him to be able to call the shots. You can know all about Jesus and not know Jesus. I've seen people who knew all about Jesus, but I wasn't really convinced that they knew him very well. So following Jesus is about becoming like Jesus. It's about having your life transformed. It's about... About you doing things differently because he's having an influence on the way you live your life looking more and more like him What does that look like in our life? So here's the question where in your life are you sitting? At the feet of Jesus And I think it starts with this you're here today You're here you've come to to worship you've come to listen to someone Open the scriptures and to try and teach you and and you've come to learn and to grow You're opening yourself up at some level to learn more about him. The next question is, do you do this in your own personal life? Do you do this on your own? Is this a daily thing for you? Do you think about the priorities that that should be present in your life? Is following Jesus and imitating him and emulating him, is that mission critical in your life? That's one of the questions. You see, for a Jesus follower, daily discipleship is mission critical opening the scripture, sitting down to let Jesus have input into your life to say, you know what, you've been doing this thing, we need to change that. That doesn't glorify me. That that doesn't look like me. When the world sees you do that, when the world sees you respond that way, when the world hears that out of you, they don't associate that with me. And so let's change that. And so it's allowing Jesus to transform you where you say, God, speak to me, show me what you want me to see and change me from the inside out. So Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus at this dinner. It's a formal relationship. It's it's countercultural and it's a relationship that is changing Mary. So Mary's the first character we've looked at. Now Martha is the one who has invited Jesus into her home. Let's let's check out what Martha is up to. Uh, Luke chapter 10 verse 40. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. (laughs) Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Martha is distracted. Distracted. One of the meanings of this word is to be pulled away. Right? If you've ever been distracted, you are pulled away. First of all, Martha has invited Jesus uh, and his disciples into her house For this dinner, there's a lot of preparation that has to be done. That's a lot of food, okay? There's just sheer volume says this is a big undertaking. And there may have been other people that were there on top of the disciples and on top of Jesus. So we don't really know how many people Martha is trying to prepare for. Secondly, Martha has invited Jesus over for dinner, okay? Um, You don't serve the Son of God leftovers, you don't do that. You don't get in the fridge and pull out the Tupperware with the, you know, weak old chicken salad in it and say, well, you know, we'll just have some of this. No, I have no doubt. Martha has gone to her go-to recipe. Martha has whipped out the best, whatever they ate on, she's using the best they've got, right? She's trying to make an impression. She has great respect for him. She loves him. She's going to do everything she can. And so, You know, the other disciples, everybody else, she wants everybody to have a good experience. And she has been pulled away to the kitchen to ensure that that experience is a good experience. Now, I don't know about you, but I identify with Martha in this story. When we go camping with my good friend Michael, I get made fun of a lot around the campfire. Michael just laughs at me, and I don't even realize I'm doing this. He says, Brett, you do not sit still at a campfire. Like, what are you talking about? He said, in the last hour, you've been up three or four times chopping wood, working on the fire, moving chairs, you know, hanging something up. He said, do you, would you just come over here and sit next to me and let's just look at the fire? And I'll, you know, and then I'll do that and I'll be thinking about it and the next thing you know, I, I catch myself wanting to get up and go do something. He's like, ah, ah, you know, just, Brett, just relax. And so I'll sit for a little bit, but I'm always doing something and he makes fun of me for it. Now I understand Martha she's got a house full of people and don't forget this is a hospitality culture You are expected to put on a good show. You're expected to have a good meal. You are expected to take care of your guest That's where Martha's head is while everybody else is in the other room listening to Jesus Wax on eloquently about life in Christ Here's what I think happened. I think initially I think it's possible that Martha started out at the feet of Jesus I think it's possible that when Jesus first started teaching and talking, Martha would have been right there maybe with Mary, but she gets pulled away. And I just wonder, does that happen to you? All of us have been pulled away from God by something else, some skill, some passion area. All of us have been pulled away. Here's the thing. Are you using your passion areas? Are you using your skill areas? Are you using those to build up the church? Or are you letting those things be a distraction to you from Christ? I want you to use those to help build up the church. I want you to use those to help people. Maybe you have a musical gift or a leadership gift. Maybe you're amazing with kids. And you hear us say something and we say, hey, we could really use help in our children's area, which is always true. We could use help back in the sound booth, which is always true. We could use musicians. It's always true. Um, we need folks to help us in the welcome center or the nursery or something like that. And you hear me say that, and you're like, well, you know what? I could do that. I've got that gift. I've got that skill. I know how to do that. I want to do that. I want to serve in that capacity. You know what? It, it's what you know it's what you should be doing, but something distracts you. You get pulled away, and you end up not doing it. We can get pulled away by an awful lot of things. Maybe your health uh, has gotten away from you, you know. We, we just get pulled away from stuff. Maybe you would look at your marriage and you say, you know what, our marriage could use a little cultivation and a little attention. Maybe your finances are out of whack, or you, you become distracted by some, you know, in some area of your life that's kind of critical, and you're, you're like, you know what, I've just been distracted and pulled away from that. I need to give that some attention. Maybe for you, it sounds like this. My priority is to spend time, more time praying and more time opening up the scriptures. I want to spend more time meditating and thinking about how Jesus wants to work in me. So I'm going to set aside some time in the evening to read my Bible and to just meditate and think on Jesus and do that. And then they release the next episode of the favorite thing that you like to binge watch. And what happens? Distraction, right? It's not going to happen because you got distracted. Distractions are everywhere. Now listen, we aren't horrible people. We're just distracted. Martha's not a horrible person. Martha is distracted. Right now, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm not calling you to do anything. I'm simply pointing out how easy it is for all of us to get distracted, to set our sights on something and then to look up and discover, you know what? Something has pulled me away from the things that are most important to me. And it happens. And it happened to Martha. Martha's been pulled away by the duties in the kitchen. And you can hear and you can feel the temperature kind of rising. You know, I, I imagine if you were there in the room with Jesus, in the next room, you hear some pots being thrown around. You hear silverware kind of clanging, you know, meant to be heard. You, and then all of a sudden you hear this and it was meant to be heard this exasperated sigh like i'm about to blow and then all of a sudden it happens martha comes bursting through the door and and her hair's a little disheveled and she's got that crazed look in her eye you know a little flower on her face and and she's just you can tell she's not in a good place and and it's it's not a good thing and she's she is a she's messed up and she's about to explode. And then we read this in Luke chapter 10, verse 40, the second part. She came to him and asked, Love this, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. First, she accuses Jesus of not caring about her. Then she yells at him to tell her what to do. Now, I don't know all the protocol of being with Jesus, but I'm pretty sure you're not supposed to accuse him and I'm pretty sure you're not supposed to yell at him, right? I don't think that's how you're supposed to do that. Martha blows up and it's pretty clear that that she's the one that's out of line. Now, how's Jesus going to respond? I'm interested in how Jesus is going to respond because I want to know how Jesus is going to respond to me when I get out of line. Because I'm going to get out of line. Which brings us to the third character in our story. That's Jesus. Here's how Jesus responds to Martha Luke chapter 10 verse 41 He says her name twice Martha Martha He repeats her name which would easily lead you to believe that Martha is going off and Jesus is is in some way Trying to get a word in edgewise, you know, it's almost like Martha Martha like trying to calm her down he's just trying to find an entrance into the conversation. But there's an interesting thing about Jewish culture when a name is repeated the way Jesus repeats Martha's name. Later in Luke 13, when Jesus uh, is uh, looking over the city of Jerusalem, we get another example of this. And he's seeing a vision of of Jerusalem's future, and he knows what's going to happen to Jerusalem just three decades after his crucifixion. And it's there that we read this, Jerusalem, Jerusalem you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. You hear the compassion, you hear the longing, do you hear the 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 pastor in Jesus, there's there's love. There's great love for this city. He's he's speaking over it with this longing and this love. And I think Jesus sees ahead to a time when the the Romans are going to completely destroy everything about Jerusalem. There will be a siege by Jerusalem, and, and the people will suffer terribly. The temple will be destroyed permanently. And he sees this city, and he sees the people that he loves. And he says to him, this isn't what I wanted for you. I wanted to gather you up. I wanted to take care of you. But you weren't willing. And I think it's this kind of tone that Jesus is using with Martha. You know, there have been times in my life when my life did not line up with with the life of Jesus. That's true of you, I'm sure. You know, where you just would say, man, in that time, my life did not line up with the the life of Jesus. I I was not doing what Jesus wanted me to be doing in, in my life. And there have been times that it would have been really easy for me to think that Jesus' attitude toward me was, Brett, get out of my face. Get away from me. I don't want to have anything to do with you. But the more you read the Bible, the more you understand that that is not how Jesus responds to us when we are out of line with him. I think in his repeating Martha's name, we're seeing him heartbroken. I think we're seeing him grief-stricken. I think you can detect a little bit of of disappointment in Jesus. I think that Jesus grieves with us and for us over the pain that has been inflicted on us and sometimes the pain that we have inflicted on other people. I think Jesus is saddened and grieved. I don't think he's angry with, with Martha. I don't think he's angry with you. And there may be some things in your life that are way outside God's design for your life. And it might even be said that you would would say, Brett, I'm pretty far from God right now. I don't feel very close to him at all. And if that's true, there's something that I need you to hear. I need you to hear Jesus speaking your name over and over again. Brett. Brett. The voice of Jesus repeating your name. He's grieved over what's going on and where you're headed. And he's saying, this isn't what I want for you. I want to gather you up. I want to take care of you. I want to put your life back together. I want to heal you up. I think this is Jesus' response to us, even when we are running away from him. I think he longs for us to turn around and just run back to him. And maybe today is a day for you where you just turn around And you come home as you hear Jesus whisper your name. And it might not even be something where anybody else would even recognize that you've been running. It might even be a, you know, you might be in a season where nobody even knows how far away from Jesus you are. But even as I'm talking about this, you're thinking, yeah, I I need to do that. I want you to hear Jesus whispering your name over and over again with a longing come to me. This is what he does for Martha, and we see the heart of Jesus as he speaks to her, but he doesn't stop there. Jesus has more to say to Martha. Look at Luke chapter 10, verse 41. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. Now, it's interesting. Jesus does not get sidetracked by her accusations and her emotion. I mean, I would be tempted to get caught up in that escalation, right? Jesus does not. He says, Martha, let's talk about what's really going on here. You're worried and upset about many things. Well, what's Martha so worried about? What's got her so upset? Well, Jesus is in her living room, and his disciples are with him. And she has a ton of respect for Jesus. And she wants to do something really nice for him. She she wants to honor him. She wants to bless Jesus. Who wouldn't want to do that? She wants it to be perfect, and she is feeling the pressure to perform. I mentioned this earlier, but this is, there's an element of hospitality in Jewish culture. It's a big deal. If you had someone of Jesus' stature in your village, especially in your home, it is a matter of honor or shame how well you put on a show. When you came into a village, everybody in the... When, if it was somebody, if a, an important rabbi came into the village... And was coming to your home the rest of the village is looking at you as if to say hey, we're all counting on you Don't let us down All right, he's really important Don't screw this up Don't don't let us down here. We're counting on you. Don't don't bring shame on the whole village So the question is will Martha bring honor to the village or shame to the village and I think it's possible That she feels the weight of all that. And then there's this comparison thing happening too. She's looking at her sister and she's thinking, I want to do what she's doing. I want that. I wish I was her right now. I think she's comparing herself to Mary. I think Martha is wrestling with the pressures and the expectations and the comparisons. And I just wonder if you can relate to any of that. (laughs) Do you feel pressure to perform at school or at work, in sports? Do you feel the expectations of family and culture and boss? And then there's the comparison game, where we look at other people's lives and bodies and Instagram accounts. And it's easy to feel like you don't measure up. It's easy to feel like you're not one of the cool kids. It's easy to think that you've been left behind in the culture because you just don't look like they do. You don't have what they have. And it's just easy to feel left behind. And I think that's some of the pressure and the expectations and the comparisons that cause us to get distracted by what really matters most. We allow these things to put down roots, and they are the motivations many times for our actions, which is Why Jesus looks at Martha and he says you are worried and upset about many things but few things are needed or indeed only one Those things aren't important Martha They're not needed Martha the most important thing is To sit at my feet and Mary has chosen the better thing. That's what matters Martha I think it's possible that what you need to do is to just take the pressures and the comparisons and the expectations and lay them down at Jesus' feet and allow him to speak into that and and let him define who we are and what matters most in our life and to allow him to motivate our behavior. We have the opportunity to exchange the pressure for the peace that only Jesus can offer. And we can live with a peace and a joy like we've never known before a peace and a joy that only comes through Jesus. We don't get distracted from our priorities and what matters most because we're nasty or mean-spirited people. I think we get distracted because there are pressures. There are expectations. There are comparisons. And what we really need to do is just kind of lay those things down and say those aren't going to be the most important thing, and let Jesus speak his truth over us to transform our hearts and our minds so that we could experience peace. So when you, next time you look at your Facebook account and you get that tinge of, oh, they're cooler than me. Their life's better than mine. I'm not, I don't measure up. You just need to calm yourself down and let Jesus speak over you You just need to let the peace of Jesus come over you. I think that is the better thing. I think that's what Jesus would ask us to choose. Choose the better thing. Which brings us to the very last thing that Jesus had to say to Martha. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. In other words, Martha, and I keep in mind, She's just burst through. She's had her big scene, right? And I think Jesus is looking back at Martha and saying, Martha, I am not sending Mary into the kitchen. I'm not sending Mary into the kitchen. I want to hear the words spoken about Mary spoken about me, don't you? Brett chose the better thing. Put your name in there. Brett chose the better thing. That's what I want to hear. Wouldn't you love to hear those words? Don't you want to get to heaven one day and him look at you and go, you chose the better thing. One last question for you this morning. One last question for you this morning. Do you need to choose what is better? Is there something that is important in your life and you've got distracted and you would say, I need to just choose what's better. I need to lay down the pressures and the the comparisons and the expectations. I just need to choose what's better. I need to get involved more. I need to volunteer. I need to just let Jesus use my gifts. I just need to get closer to him. I pray that you hear God challenging you and calling you to choose what is better. Maybe he's calling you to run to his arms for healing and restoration. Maybe he's calling you to run to him for forgiveness for something. Decide today to choose what is better. Don't wake up six months from now and say this. Man, I wish I'd started this six months ago. I'm right, I'm still in the same place I was six months ago when Brett talked about this. Make a decision and tell somebody about it and let them help you and check in on you once in a while to see how you're doing. If you've never given your life to Christ... I pray this morning that you would hear Jesus whispering your name over and over again, not to guilt you, not to scare you, not to correct you, to love you, to forgive you, to give you peace and a place at his feet. If if you've never given your life to Christ, that is a conversation I would love to have with you. You just need to come up to me and say, Brett, let's talk because I'm ready to do that, okay? Okay. Let's pray, and uh, then the band will be back out. Father, so thankful to be able to come to church this morning with my brothers and sisters. So thankful for your word that speaks to us and calls us constantly to leave behind everything in the world and just come to you with just us. And I pray, Father, that as we have been encouraged this morning, I don't want anybody leaving here feeling guilty. I don't want anybody leaving here feeling bad. We should leave here feeling good that we have a Savior who wants relationship with us. May we be found this morning sitting at your feet. Father, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.